Hi and welcome to Sci-Fi Fans, I'm your host Wayne and if you haven't done so already please check out my book, it's on Amazon and the title of the book is Broken Ceasefire. You can find it under my author name, W.A. Blinko and also just for a bit of fun I do daily TikTok videos and you can find me at Sci-Fi1 on TikTok, that's S-C-I dot F-I-1 and I basically do 15 seconds of trivia and sometimes a few meme videos as well. So today's episode is dedicated to Star Wars. Star Wars came out in 1977 and was George Lucas's baby. It's his idea, his concept he had for a very long time. Which kind of surprised me in some regard when you look at what happened in that time period and George Lucas's passion for his project. He also is a man, at that time at least, that lacked confidence give an example George Lucas was um, so confident that the film would flop that rather than attending the premiere he went off to Hawaii for a holiday with his good friend Steven Spielberg and this is where they came up with the idea for Raiders of the Lost Ark only to find out that Star Wars was a humongous success so contrasting the lack of confidence that George Lucas had in Star Wars he had the uh, the confidence in his project to negotiate a different deal when it comes to his wages he accepted a lower salary, a directoral salary for um, Star Wars in exchange for all merchandising rights and at that time toys connected to films hadn't been a major success so this was considered a little bit of a, a fool's gamble but nevertheless the film studio accepted his offer and what really helped Star Wars and George Lucas is A the success, no one can deny the success of the film but because it proved to be such a phenomenon that it was still in the cinemas come the Christmas season, which is just when the toys were being released. So that really, I suppose it's a stroke of genius and a stroke of luck in the fact that he took that gamble to take a lower salary to make and make his money on the toys. And then just by chance, the film lasted long enough in the cinema for the toys to be on sale at the same time, making him mega bucks. Prior to the release, George Lucas actually showed a rough copy of uh, Star Wars to his movie director friends, and according to him, in this version, it didn't have the special effects, so it contained stock footage, for example, where the fight X-Wing fighters are taking on the Death Star. That might have been a scene of Spitfires taking on Mission Smiths from the Second World War. And this confused, I think, a lot of the people in the audience who just generally didn't get it. One of them, Brian D. Palmer, reportedly called it the worst movie ever. However, Steven Spielberg was amongst that group of friends and he predicted that the film would be the biggest movie of all time. And a lot of people in that room just kind of looked at him, apparently, as if he was a bit delusional and kind of like, poor Steven, this guy, he's got it totally wrong. But as we all know, history proved that Steven Spielberg was correct and Star Wars went on to become one of the biggest films, definitely the biggest franchise of all time. Star Wars was the first film to make over $300 million way back in 1977 and I just can't believe or can't even imagine how much money that would be in today's standards. Another interesting insight into George Lucas' mind and how he feels about Star Wars was that he went to see uh, Steven Spielberg on the set of Close Encounters of a Third Kind. George Lucas was so sure that Close Encounters would outperform his yet unreleased Star Wars at the box office. And Steven Spielberg 
totally disagreed with this and felt that Star Wars would be the bigger picture. So he had the idea of um, getting compensation if Star Wars was a box office bomb. So again, this is just Steven Spielberg trying to help out his buddy George Lucas financially by proposing that they both take and exchange 2.5% of all the profits from either film. So this is how Steven Spielberg ended up making an absolute fortune from owning 2.5% of Star Wars when George Lucas sold on the franchise to Disney. He, I mean, 2.5% of an alleged, I think it was 12 billion, that George Lucas sold Star Wars for. Well, I wouldn't mind a piece of that. <laughs> um, so yeah, they'd done a gentleman's agreement and that lasted right up until George Lucas went on to sell Star Wars to Disney. So onto the film itself. In um, Star Wars, I don't know if anybody's noticed this, but C-3PO actually has half a silver leg it's on his right side and this was because Anthony Daniels during the first days of filming actually broke the uh, the gold leg so they obviously don't know why but for whatever reason they didn't find a replacement gold leg and gave him a silver leg and this was something that was still visible right up until Return of the Jedi in one scene when R2-D2 and C-3PO have landed on Tatooine. They've gone their separate ways because they had their little spat. There is a um, skeleton in the background. So you see 3PO in this scene wandering around in, in the uh, desert with this skeleton. And the, the skeleton was for a creature called the Greater Crate Dragon. This artificial skeleton was left there after filming and it was still there in 2002 when the crew from Attack of the Clones went to visit the site. And it is my understanding that it is still there even to this day. Later on in the film, when we're introduced to Leia and it's part of the rescue, they've come out of the trash compactor and they're separated from Han and Chewie. On the bridge scene where Luke has to hand Leia the gun so she can defend them from the stormtroopers and he's sorting out his little ropes that they can swing across the bridge. This scene was performed without any stunt doubles, so it really is Luke and Leia in the scene where Luke and Leia swing across the bridge and Luke hands Leia the, uh, his gun, this was something new for um, Carrie Fisher because she'd never actually had any experience of handling weapons. So she was actually taught how to um, use guns and things by the same person who gave Robert De Niro shooting lessons for the film Taxi Driver. Incidentally, in the scene where Luke and Leia swing across the broken bridge, this was done in one take and no stunt doubles were used. So it is actually Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill doing that particular stunt themselves. Have you ever wondered how they come up with the idea of these different languages in the science fiction films, particularly in Star Wars, because there's so many different languages? The um, Jawas, for example, is actually Zulu that is being electronically sped up and Guido's language is Kuchia, which is an indigenous South American language as well. Catchphrases are very popular in films and things, and they very often get misquoted or are wrong. For example, did you realise that Obi-Wan Kenobi never actually says, may the force be with you? He always says a close variation of the line, but the line is spoken, like, may the force be with you, is spoken by Han to uh, Luke as he's about to go off on his mission, and also General Dormer, while addressing the assembled rebel pilots, neither of whom have force powers. Did you realise that Star Wars is the only movie where Darth Vader's signature theme, the Imperial March, is not played in any form or another? And this is because John Williams hadn't actually written it. 
Darth Vader also only appears on screen for approximately 12 minutes in Star Wars. The great actor Peter Cushion apparently found the boots that come with his costume extremely uncomfortable to wear because they were too small for his feet, so he only wore them for shots that required them, so like from distance and where his feet would be seen. Otherwise, apart from that, he was actually wandering around in a pair of fuzzy slippers. I mean, can you imagine that? Princess Leia coming up to this all superior man and he's wearing fuzzy slippers. <laughs> Which kind of reminds me a little bit to um, Alien 3. There is a scene, and certainly some still versions of it, where the alien is trapped and they're about to kill it with the molten steel. If you look closely in some parts of that scene, you can see that the guy's wearing trainers. Something else that I like to delve into and, and it kind of amazes me sometimes is the chemistry between actors on set and in particular when you have on screen two characters that are advers adversaries and they don't get along generally you find off camera that they're pretty good friends and this is the case for Carrie Fisher and Peter Cushion because although her their respective characters obviously despise each other they both found each other very warm and charming offset and I think Peter Cushion had a quite polite and was humorous towards her so they got along really well and in fact um, Carrie Fisher found out in a, well she found it a real challenge to act as if she hated him in those scenes. Kenny Baker the guy that was inside R2-D2 said that he would be quite often left on the, on set when the cast broke for lunch they would just simply forget that there was a man inside the R2-D2 outfit and leave him behind. Harrison Ford also found that the dialogue was very difficult and uh, later saying that you could type this kind of thing, but you can't say it. There's a family connection as well between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Dennis Lawson, who plays Wedge Antilles, is actually the uncle of Ewan McGregor, who went on to play Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequels. During the trash compactor scene where that creature wraps itself around Luke and drags him under the water, Mark Hamill actually burst a blood vessel in his eye because he held his breath for so long and that's why the scenes certainly immediately after that or, or during that when he resurfaces are filmed from different angles and you don't actually see his face very much. Incidentally the Chewbacca outfit retained a very bad smell for the duration of filming after that scene was done. When um, 20th Century Fox went on to distribute the film they found it very difficult for theatres to actually take it on fewer than 40 theatres agreed to show the film and as a solution Fox threatened any cinema that refused to show Star Wars they wouldn't be given the rights to screen a potential blockbuster The Other Side of Midnight in 1977 which ended up grossing less than 10% of what Star Wars did. Star Wars is the uh, second most attended movie of all time in North America having sold an estimated 178 million tickets over its various theatrical runs which would equate to a gross of approximately $1.48 billion at 2015 ticket prices. The only movie to have sold more tickets is Gone with the Wind in 1939 with $202 million. The cameras that George Lucas used were VistaVision cameras and they were mainly vintage cameras used in the 1950s but George Lucas used them because they were of a higher quality than most of the other cameras available. After Star Wars was made, the price of these vintage cameras absolutely skyrocketed. Our beloved characters weren't always going to be who they ended up being. For example, George Lucas originally had the idea of Luke being a girl and Han Solo was going to be an alien. The Wookiees race were called Jawas and R2-D2 and C-3PO were just simply called A2 and C-3. 
George Lucas' script evolved into a mammoth 200-page screenplay. Having spent a full year writing it, he was reluctant to condense it, so instead chose to concentrate on the, on the first third with a view to expanding the remaining two-thirds into two additional movies. Have you ever noticed that all, all or most of the stormtroopers are left-handed? And that's because how the weapons were constructed. Their weapons are based on a real one, which is where the magazine is on the left-hand side of the weapon. This construction caused it to hit the troopers in the chest. Therefore, they had to switch the grip of the weapon, which made them look left-handed. So another instance where Steven Spielberg has helped George Lucas out is George Lucas was planning to score the movie using existing classical music, a bit like what Stanley Kubrick done with 2001 Space Odyssey. However, Steven Spielberg introduced him to the composer John Williams, and Lucas and Williams agreed on a classical 19th century romantic music style with liberal use of motive for the score. Since the movie would show worlds never seen before, the music had to serve as an emotional anchor for the audience to relate. And it works. I mean, John Williams is an absolute phenomenal producer of music anyway, and he certainly hit the nail on the head with Star Wars. Initially, 20th Century Fox were so sure that the move was going to be a disaster that they almost sold off their stake in the move as a tax shelter, but they changed their minds after positive feedbacks from advanced screenings. The profits from Star Wars helped save, helped save 20th Century Fox from bankruptcy, which is a pretty good thing really, because they went on later to two years later to uh, make Alien. Another thing um, which is quite fascinating really for me is that David Prowers, the actor that's inside the Darth Vader suit, never actually met James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader, while they were making the films. The costume for C-3PO was very stiff and didn't allow Anthony Daniels to sit down, so in order for him to be able to sit for the scenes that required it, they had to undo the suit partially and then film from various angles to hide it. This incidentally is a similar problem that Jack Haley had who played the Tin Woodsman in The Wizard of Oz in 1939. Initially, Orson Welles was considered by George Lucas to do the voice of Darth Vader, but George Lucas decided against this, feeling that Orson Welles' voice would be far too recognisable. Incidentally, Burt Reynolds was also considered for the part of Han Solo. And I'm going to wrap this episode up now. Thank you very much for joining me. Don't forget you can find me on TikTok under Sci-Fi1 which is sci.fi1, where I do 15 seconds of trivia on most days and a few entertaining memes on others. And also, my book is available at Amazon. It's either an ebook or paperback, Broken Ceasefire, written by W.A. Blinko. That's me. And um, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks' time. Cheers.